When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back. This is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about learning JavaScript from scratch. So this is going to be an episode that is tied to a previous episode we did, I think, approximately two or three weeks ago. That that episode was titled uh, Become a Junior Developer, Learn Web Development from Scratch. In that, we cover the first two pillars of three pillars. So Mike and I have said over and over again, the three pillars of web development are the foundational technologies, which are HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and that you should learn those we recommend before going into uh, something like a framework, like a Svelte or a React or whatever. So in that first episode that I just mentioned, Become a Junior Developer, Learn Web Development from Scratch, we talked about HTML and CSS. We also talked about education and different pathways that you could take. And that episode was supposed to be sort of a gentle guidance or a gentle push toward someone who is completely new. Maybe you've absorbed some web development content and realized just the sheer amount of things that you could be learning realizing, okay, I need to choose a direction. Which direction do I choose? So this is that episode gently push you in that direction. And this is sort of almost the continued part because the third pillar JavaScript is very packed. It has a lot of stuff in it. So we're going to be talking a little bit about education, but the majority of that conversation was in the previous, uh, in the previous episode, like I just mentioned, link will be in the show notes. Of course, if you want to go check that out, this one's going to be almost completely JavaScript related. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our discord server or share this with your friends. Now, Mike, someone starting from scratch, maybe listening to this, they're thinking, Hey, I've learned my HTML, I'll learn my CSS, or maybe they're just trying to still determine which direction they want to go. And they hit JavaScript in their research. And they're thinking, Oh, this is a, uh, this is a lot. Uh, what, what do you have to say for those people that are starting right at square one? So I want to cover first and foremost why you need JavaScript, right? Because it might be confusing to some when you're first stepping in and they see that, hey, you, I can build the full site in HTML and CSS. I can make it responsive. You know, I can have all the content information in there and that's all I really need, right? And the answer is usually no, um, but sometimes yes. Or maybe it's like 50. I don't know. I don't know what the breakdown is. A lot. You can do a lot with HTML and CSS. I don't want to disparage it. If it's just a regular, you know, business card website that doesn't need any, any interactive content, any interactivity, any form submission, nothing. You can get by with just HTML and CSS. I would say that a, a good way, a good way to like talk about that is almost like if, if your website, if you're staring at a website that is just still, there's not, um, and, and actually there can also be some things flying around like animations and stuff. But if we just take a basic example where you just look at a website, even something like Google Drive, the functionality of that type of stuff is a web app. It's very complex. It, it has a lot of stuff. An e-commerce site, there's a lot of that. But if you just take a snapshot where someone literally like presses print screen and then paste that into Microsoft Paint or something, all of that visual element 
for the most part, if not entirely, can be made with HTML, CSS and no JavaScript. So this is like the interactivity step. Right, exactly. But to actually go and, you know, copy paste files or drag and drop something, anything like that, that's when you're looking at the first step into JavaScript. Okay. So as soon as you want to add interactivity, uh, data analysis, data consumption, right? As soon as you want to do some sort of um, click handling, so you have a button that needs to calculate a, a number, maybe you're making a calculator app, whatever, that's where you're going to be stepping into JavaScript. Now, I do want to make a distinction here because a lot of things can be done backend versus frontend. So we're going to be talking specifically about frontend JavaScript because that's the way JavaScript was meant to be used initially when it was created. And the path that we're going to be, we're teaching right now is very focused on the front end. HTML and CSS are both front end. So this, the JavaScript addition to this is just a way to enhance the front end experience, your front end knowledge, and to make you a better front end developer. JavaScript can be and is used heavily on the back end, as well as many, many other languages. We don't want to get into that right now. That's clouding your field too much. And I think if you're getting into web development, if that's your first foot, focus on the front end, okay? Because having too much is going to overwhelm you and you're going to go down different paths and that's not going to be good. So with that being said, I want to kind of lay out a few actual practical examples of why you need JavaScript, okay? So one of them, really simply, imagine a website with a little switch that switches from light mode to dark mode. You know, some people prefer light mode where everything is white and some people prefer dark mode where everything is kind of a darker darker background color so that it's a little bit easier on the eyes, okay? A switch that switches the theme between one and another requires a little bit of JavaScript because you need to be able to detect the state of a toggle switch and re-enable themes based on that state, okay? So that's one reason you would need JavaScript. Having said that, again, all of these examples or most of these examples, technically you can do a little bit of backhand trickery, but again, don't worry about that. That's not something that you need to learn. You can do this with JavaScript and it can be done easily with JavaScript. Dynamically displaying the weather as it changes in real time. So imagine you have a little weather widget on your app. Maybe you have a news website where you need to display the weather. So if you wanted to automatically update in real time as the weather changes. You can build a little API polling into your application using Fetch or Axios or whatever. Like there's many different ways to fetch data. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But to fetch data on the front end, you're going to need some JavaScript. Just know that. Drag and drop functionality. So if you want to build a to-do application, you want to be able to drag a to-do from like a started to finished or in review, any sort of drag and drop that you're going to be doing there, you need some sort of JavaScript uh, function to do that. Okay. Storing and reading settings. So imagine you have a little application that maybe stores a user's preferences. Like, uh, again, the, go back to the dark mode, light mode. So next time when they get to the page, if they've already clicked on it, we store that information in local storage or it's cookies. Well, to store it and then read it upon load of the website, you're going to need some JavaScript. A real-time chat, you're going to need some WebSockets, you're going to need some JavaScript. Complex animations. So Matt mentioned, you can do some animations with CSS, right? Plenty of animations. But as soon as you're starting to do animations based on events, based on something happening, based on data coming in, and based on maybe some really complex stuff, like stuff popping in and out, flying left and right, certain things like that, you're going to need to use the JavaScript animation API or a library that supports it. 
there's a few exceptions. I just want to say just because this episode is geared toward those that are brand new. There are some exceptions. For example, if you hover over a button, CSS can handle the, the detection of the hover. And then you can apply a style, whether something is hovered over or not hovered over. There's other examples of that. But Mike, what Mike's saying is something like if um, Google uh, Google Drive, for example, does an animation where like a firework goes off when a file is done uploading. Well, that's going to require some JavaScript, maybe even some backend code to detect. Yes, this file is indeed backed up now in, in Drive. It's uploaded. Now fire this animation. Yes, exactly. That is correct. Just starting that animation is going to require some JavaScript. Uh, anything to do with audio video, that's going to require some JavaScript. Other than the fact that you could just like statically play content or statically put a player with the audio element, HTML element or the video HTML element. If you want to control the playback of it, like, you know, running it at different times or uh, having your own play button there or uh, being able to load the video dynamically from a server or something like that. That's going to require some JavaScript. If you want to control the experience beyond letting the browser interpret it, because the browser, most browsers, uh, modern browsers do, in fact, have multiple things like they can read PDFs, they can listen or they can play music, for example, they can play uh, videos in in most cases. But if you want to control that at all, and the reason why I'm even bringing this up is Mike knows that I spent hours trying to get a custom podcast player only to have it work everywhere but Safari. So that was that was fun. So that's the problem is that when you are relying on some of these APIs in JavaScript, there also comes the fact that some of them work in browsers, some of them don't. The good news is, is that it is getting better. Stuff is becoming more cohesive and there is a way to check if something works, right? You can use caniuse.com and put in whatever you want, like video into caniuse.com and see what's supported and what isn't. So it is a challenge. It's still going to be a challenge moving forward, but it is a little bit easier nowadays. But regardless... Those are the examples that I have for when you would need JavaScript. Those are a very small subset, like a tiny, tiny subset of everything that you could do with JavaScript. I just want to give some real world use cases to put it into your mind about why you're learning this complex feature of web development. Now, let's move on to how you learn it. This episode isn't going to teach you JavaScript. I want to get that out of the way. You're not going to learn JavaScript by listening to a podcast. Not possible. I don't care what anyone sells you. You can learn bits of it, and I guess you could compile it, but it's going to – it really is a visual – more or less a visual medium. And and not even that, it, visual and, and ri- say written even, even if it's read, like uh, transcribed out to you, if you like hear a guide written. But it's super difficult to talk about syntax where you're going to be like – then you put a period, you write get user media, but the U and the M, like it just doesn't work for a <laughs> – for an audio show too well, at least – I haven't cracked the code on that anyway. Yeah, we've tried. We, we, we cannot crack the code and we're probably not going to keep trying to crack the code on teaching you JavaScript from fundamentally, right? We'll teach you certain concepts and small tidbits here and there. Or we'll talk about them in a certain way, abstractly usually. Um, but for the most part, this is a supplementary piece of content. You want to listen to this. My hope is that what you'll get from this is a way to kind of step forward, step into the learning uh, world of JavaScript and find a way that works for you to learn it and continue to learn it going forward. I'm going to give you in this segment two courses that I think are very good. I've vetted them myself. I have talked to many people that have taken both these courses and they are a good foundational element that I think you should take in your JavaScript journey, right? 
because at the start of your journey, let's say that you decide not to take courses and you just want to jump into the code and learn Hello World and just go from there. You can do that and it's viable and people do it all the time. But the problem is that the, without the foundations, it's going to be difficult for you to understand the core concepts of JavaScript as a programming language. And you're going to struggle, especially when we're going to be talking about like error handling, debugging. You're going to struggle with Googling the right thing. You're going to struggle with continuing best principles, best practices, right? Because you're not going to learn them right away. Whereas the advantage that you have over almost anyone else that's already been in the court, already been in and learned them by themselves or took courses a long time ago or whatever, you're going to have the advantage of a clean slate and a way to build a foundation that you can build on top of. Okay. And this is where these courses kind of come in, in my eyes, right? These courses both teach you not only the foundational elements, but how to put them into practice. They, they are very project oriented. Every, every one of these courses, like both of these courses have multiple projects that you, that you will be completing as well as some additional homework stuff that they assign as well, which is, I think, super important. Like Matt was saying, you can listen to it, you can read it, you can watch it, right? Like you can, you can get the idea of the elements, but without actually typing it, without going in and actually trying to run this code, it's not going to stick. Like you can't learn JavaScript visually. You can't learn JavaScript listening. You can't learn JavaScript reading. You have to learn JavaScript actually doing. And that's what these courses give you. They give you practical examples that you can code yourself and verify how it works while you're going and building on the foundations of the course. So I want to jump right in to tell you about the first one. It's a Scrimba course called Learn JavaScript. It's made by the creator of Scrimba. Uh, let me just get his name right now, just because I completely blanked on that. But um, I believe his name is pronounced per Harald Borgen. I'm sorry if I butchered that. My bad, but he's one of the creators of Scrimba. And it is a solid course. It is a solid course because it teaches you all the fundamentals that I'll be covering in the next segment, as well as gives you very clear instructions on how to set up your coding environment, which I think is very key because even though Scrimba has a built-in code editor and you can kind of follow along right in the video, which is a really cool feature of the platform, what I think is also really important is you to set up your own local environment and start screwing around with your IDE, like VS Code, right? And start screwing around a little bit with Git, which is, again, part of this free Scrimba course. Okay, so they cover a lot. It is a pretty hefty one, but it is something that can take you from zero JavaScript to a pretty good foundation, in my opinion. Like this is a, a foundation where you can build something yourself. That's where I see the foundation leading. And that's where it needs to be, to be an actual useful course from what I can see. How long How long are people looking at, even if you approximate, I'm not sure if uh, you have the numbers there for hours or anything, but all of like, every course always sounds great until people look at it. And then it's like, uh oh, this isn't a three minute read. You know, what is it's, like, how long do you think? It's 10 hours, 10 hours course. Okay. And then you, there's also homework and stuff. Yeah. So 10, uh, 10 hours of content. Uh, and then there's going to be some homework. So I would expect, you know, probably 15 hours. Which is, hours. if you really think about it, we used to go to school for at least here for six hours a yeah. day or longer. So that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> two days, two days uh, to hit, you know, 12 of the 15 hours is Correct. Uh, I spread it out good. over a week. I, that's how that's how I would do it. I wouldn't I wouldn't overload yourself every day. I would, you know, 
spread out your 207 lessons that are in this course over a week time or two weeks even, right? Spread them out. Do make sure you're, you're giving enough of your brain to do the, 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 the lessons that they're giving you to do the practice. Give time, right? Don't overburden yourself. That's really, really key with any course that you take. Don't take on too much. Like if you, you could do this in two days for sure, 10 hours, like Matt said, two full time days. But if you're just starting to learn and you embrace and you engulf yourself in this, unless you really love it, if you engulf yourself in this, you could burn out really quickly. Yeah, so again, it, it really depends on your learning style. But mo- most people are not going to be able to cram literally an entire uh, programmatic concept, especially if you are, we're t- again, talking to the absolute beginner where Mike and I, we came from a background in school where we understood programmatic concepts. We understood loops, ifs, how to think like a computer, how to think, say, logically is what they used to say. Um Computer logically is what that means. And for you to not understand the concepts of that, to then just go, well, I'll just learn JavaScript really quick. It's like, well, there's syntax to learn for sure, but you got to know like what a loop is and why you're doing it. You can't just be like, I know how to do a loop now, but why is that used? I don't know. It's important to have that concept of like being okay with taking your time. These courses will not are not required to be done in a certain set of time. This isn't school. So school, the traditional schooling path is a whole other thing Matt talked about in the previous episode. There's some benefits to it, but the great benefit of self-taught and going your own path is that you can take the time that you need personally to learn something. And I really, really encourage you to find your threshold. Some people, like they, they, one hour a day is all they can do when they're learning something new, right? Like from scratch. That's it. Your, your brain just shuts off after an hour. Okay. You know that number, great. Some people four hours, some people five, it doesn't matter. So just understand your own threshold, find it and learn the way that best suits you. That's what this whole process is about, okay? Going back to Scrimba, the Scrimba course, right? So it's free. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to pay anything to, to learn it. You can do all 10 hours, 15 hours, whatever, all for free. There well, are you, don't, some- you don't even have to sign up. That's pretty good. I don't. Oh, wait, actually, that's a good point. You might have to sign up to actually get access to it. Very good point. But it's a free account. Okay. Uh, There are some benefits there. Obviously, Scrimba has a whole like bootcamp platform that you can sign up for. And these courses, the free ones are included in that as well as a bunch of other like premium courses and a whole roadmap if you need something a little bit more structured. So we do have a deal with Scrimba where if you sign up for their platform for their plan, we do get we do get a discount for our listeners. Okay. So the discount is Matt and I were actually just talking about this. We're like, we have a number from them saying it's 10%, but really from what we're seeing, it's sometimes more, sometimes it's 10%, sometimes it's way more than that. Um it's a good discount. <laughs> so if you want to use it, we do get a kickback and it would be awesome to see anyone take this course or take a roadmap from start to finish. I would love to hear how it goes at the end of your journey, right? Let us know. Reach out to us on HTML, everything on Twitter. The discount comes from a URL. The URL is tinyurl.com slash scrimba hat. And scrimba is spelled S-C-R-I-M-B-A. Hat is spelled H-A-T-T. You don't need to worry about the capitalization. I checked. So just scrimba hat and tinyurl.com is the initial uh, thing. It'll be in the it'll be in the, the show description, which is on podcast apps. Hopefully you're using one that supports links. If not, it'll be in the show notes as well. Perfect. 
But again, you don't have to use that to sign up for free. You just sign up for free, try it out. And if you like it, then maybe you can upgrade, get the access to their exclusive uh, Discord group. So you can have people that are actually learning at the same time as you, as well as a bunch of other benefits that you can go check out yourself. Now, moving on to the next course here, it's Beginner JavaScript by Wes Boss. Now, Wes Boss is someone that I've recommended since the start of my journey in development. Um, he's one of the co-hosts of another podcast, Syntax FM. And this course is probably my favorite to recommend because it's very, very like teach you project, teach you project, teach you project. Like there's so much you're going to build in this course. Like it's crazy. And there is a free element to it called JavaScript 30. Now this is a free part of it, but it's not really a course. It's just 30 projects that he will take you through how to build so that you can, again, add more practice to your learning. All of this coding stuff, it's great to have some theory behind it. And all of these courses do have theory. But the more important part, again, is the building aspect of you getting your hands dirty on the keyboard and screwing up and figuring out your mistakes and learning about the different things and just building, building, building. Okay. That's why I recommend these two projects, these two courses, because they're both project heavy. And they're both very high quality from what I can see. And they hit all the elements, all the core concepts of JavaScript that you'll need to at least have a foundation and to actually build like a real product in the end. Okay. That's really important. Now, taking these course projects is great and doing them and following along the instructions and going like, you know, coding alongside the tutorial is one thing. And it's a really important. You need to do it. But as a next step, you're going to need to take those course projects from what I can, from what, from what works for me, take the course project and add a feature to it, right? Add a different element to it, change something because you're going to see like some of these course projects are really cool. They're going to be like audio visualizers or there's going to be a to-do app or whatever. And maybe you've always wanted to see what a to-do app would look like if you added, uh, I don't know, some motivational text every time you, 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 um, you add a to-do, it'll, or you close a to-do, it'll give you some motivational text as a pop-up. This is just an example. Whatever, whatever has popped up in your head. Try to find something you can add and add it to the projects that you've already created. You don't have to do this for every project. Choose one or two or three of them as you're doing it, as, when you finish, and just try to change something. The fact, the idea of changing something that you have already learned is going to teach you a lot of steps that you need to then build something from scratch, right? It's going to make you think outside the box a little bit. It's going to get you to step outside of the, you know, rails of a tutorial. And it's going to allow you to struggle because you're going to struggle no matter what you choose, you're going to struggle. And that's what, that's the intention of this part of learning JavaScript. You need to find that will to get past the struggling because it's not never going to be a smooth path. Like you're never going to be just sitting down and you're going to have like, these are all my tasks for the week and you're just going to code them all up and go home. It's never like that. You're always going to have some weird catch gotcha, some weird thing that you didn't think about, whatever. Okay. And you're going to need to be able to debug that and figure out how to get past it. Change your method, right? Find what the, what the error is. Google what it does. Try it. Try a different thing. Try a library, whatever. Having that like explorative approach to learning is going to make the next part 
of the process, which is building your own project from scratch, a lot easier for you. Before we move on to that, I do want to point out something that I do that might help you. So um, Mike was saying add some stuff to some projects. That's absolutely like a good way to do it. Uh, for me, what I do is I take the lesson, if I'm taking a course um, or just watching, well, I guess a YouTube course is what it would be. Uh, and I'm, I take the lesson uh, right as at face value and understand sort of that basic theory. So of an exa- a recent example for me was learning how bind worked in Svelte slash Svelkit. And really figuring that out. And then immediately I start playing with it and I go like, this isn't even for my project. I just immediately go, well, how do I break that? You know, can I access that here? Can I access any, any question that pops up into my mind within reason, I will try to figure out with what we've done so far in the lesson. And if it, spirals out of control i think okay that's a you know that's a different concept but oh can i take this bind and put it into a different variable can i take this bind and put it into a mathematical calculation what can i do with this other than have these two values be bound together what does the bat what does bound together really mean or what's the practicality of it and that's where i get my sort of extra experience from is instead of adding uh, which is absolutely a valid way to do it for me it's more more so that i don't just learn something at its face value. I try to answer any questions that I would ask in an in a classroom environment. It's yeah, that's a good way to put it as well. Um, so yeah, for sure, just try to get past the issues that come up. I know I go back to my like educate traditional education, and a lot of times when I was in a group assignment or something like that for programming, and we had groups of three or two or whatever. It was always one person that was doing all the programming and the other person that was just relying on them in that, in, in that because they would try to learn programming and then fail and then immediately give up. So they'd be like, Oh, I, you know, I couldn't get past the first step. I, I don't even want to do anymore because this is too hard or something like that. I don't know what the logic is, but it's like as soon as I saw them get past a step or get past that, like, Oh, wait. This is screwing up now, but if I, you know, push through it a little bit and Google it and figure it out, it actually does work. That connection between like not working and working is what drives them to move forward, is what drives them through and actually makes them learn how to code. Because just being able to copy paste code and make it run is great. But being able to like figure out what's wrong with code is a whole other thing. And be able to write code from scratch is obviously another level on top of that, right? And that's what we're going to talk about right now is the next part is you're, you've figured out how to follow code coding tutorials. You figured out the core concepts of code through these courses. You've altered them a little bit, added some cool features. Great. But now try to find a, something you want to build. Okay. Anything that you're interested in at this point, if it's maybe it's a new to-do list, I mean, that's already been done a million times. Maybe it's a movie application where you track the movies that you watch, right? Like something relevant to you. Maybe it's a game application, you track the games you watch, whatever. Build something that's relevant to you, go into it from scratch, and as you're building it, so whatever information that you've learned in those courses, use it. When you get stuck, right, when you can't get further, like, I don't know how to fetch this data. Like, I don't know what's going on here. There's an authentication step. I've never done that before. Fill in those knowledge gaps as you hit them with other courses, other like videos, other learning material. Okay. This is more of a directed learning, like where you actually completing a project and figuring out how to learn the stuff that you don't know. 
It's not about the fact that you're learning these other elements, like you're learning all these other like uh, core concepts in these tutorials. It's about the fact that you're learning how to find them and how to how to use other resources to further progress your skills. This is something that is really difficult to do when you're first starting out, but is extremely key to show that you have this when you're going out there to get your first job. You, you need to prove that you can take a task and do everything in your power to get it done. And that includes learning, like take, like uh, learning new things. This is actually a bit of a lost art. And, and Mike and I have lost this art too, or I guess I should say I've lost this art a little bit where I would go and, you know, do my regular work and do some agency work, help some people with some WordPress, help some people with some Webflow, do my whatever. And then like those type of tasks I've completed, right? Those are projects that I've built and that's it uh, in most cases. But then I would go and be like, oh, you know, I should update my knowledge a little bit. Maybe I'll build this. Like, oh, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try that. And what I was doing was I wasn't actually building anything short of something that was a conceptual where, oh, I'll um, I'll play with uh, some CSS variables and I'll, you know, do a little, you know, little short course in there and I'll learn them and I'll figure out how, to, how they work. Cool. Maybe I'll make some content on them, which I did. And then I leave it and I don't actually build anything with it. And I never really put it into practice. But I'm starting to do that now where it's like, OK, you know what? Like I need to build something, even if it's something small. And I think it's important to note that it doesn't need to be something that's going to change the world. You're not going to make the first the next Facebook or something. And even if it is something that's been done a million and a half times, even if it's something you're not even going to use, but you're just interested to see if you can make it something that interests you. Just give it a try. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll make a uh, uh, an asset tracking app for my inventory in one of the Fallout games. Is it completely impractical? And am I probably going to use it when I'm playing Fallout? No, but it's going to teach some pretty good skills of a little bit of data management. It's going to teach you looping through arrays for sure. Um, it's going to teach you how to manage content boxes and a dynamic amount of content boxes. It's going to teach you a whole bunch of different little concepts. It doesn't need to be something that is super practical, something that's going to change the world or anything like that. It's it's you can treat it like a learning tool. There is an inherent benefit for it for you learning something that you specifically want to use because you're going to make something that you want to use and many other people may also want to use. But I do want to highlight that like you don't need to always think of it as, oh, my God, this has to become a SaaS. Now I'm going to have to manage this. What's going to happen like with this? What's going to happen with that? Oh, is this a business now? You don't want to bring in all those questions. You just want to take it and build it uh, with the full stack struggle episodes that we've been doing. I'm building out this felt kit uh, application and like that's like there's a user. There's going to be a user authentication system and all that in there. And uh, my goal is to finish it at least to, you know, a workable state, even like an early access state, say like something that I could show off and be like, hey, like take a look at this. Please note this is a beta <laughs> type of thing, but I'm not going to like sass this out where there's like a, you know, a proper like privacy policy and all the different legal things because it's not a public business. It's 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 literally me learning how to make something that could be cr could be pushed into something that's real. So it's it that's kind of where that's kind of where like, I think some people get a disconnect where they think I'll make the next Facebook. It's like, well, hang on too much. You're learning concepts, do something that is that could be made something could be something that is viable, not as a product in business, but viable as a product in that it it does something, whether it's a practical something or not, doesn't really matter. It's a learning tool. Yes. 
That's exactly it. I think that's a good explanation of how you should think about finding these projects you want to make, right? Now, when you're learning, don't be afraid to use all the resources available to you, right? Don't be afraid to use ChatGPT or any other AI source. Don't be afraid to use open source projects where you're just copy pasting some of the functionality or pulling it in through whatever, right? Don't be afraid to get outside of your comfort zone at this point, And don't be afraid to use everything that would be available to you in a regular job anyway. Because learning how to use those tools to your advantage is part of the learning process. It's not cheating. There is nothing, no cheating here. You're, you're learning how to use the tools available to you, which is the internet, to get the job done. That's really key. I, I've heard a lot of people be like, I don't want to just copy paste code from Stack Overflow. I'm not going to learn. It's not true. Now, it is true if you don't try to learn it. Right. Like it is true if you just copy paste an entire like, let's say your your goal is to build a to do app and you just take an open source to do app and run it. Yeah, you're not going to learn, obviously. But if your drag and drop functionality isn't working properly on your to do list app, you tried it, it doesn't work. And you go and find, hey, this to do app or this like tutorial takes it and shows me how to do it. I can just copy paste this code and put it in. And now my app like I use that code in my app and it works. That's not cheating. That's part of the process. Like where you're going to be doing that in real life, like in, in the job. Okay. Now learning how it works from a high level, how to use the APIs of it, how, how it actually integrates into your app in terms of like, Hey, it's running now in my application. So I, I know it's working. That's great. Do that. Do that. Do a little bit of due diligence. Maybe go a little bit deeper than you would usually, right? Into learning how these things that you're copy pasting work. But you don't need to learn every in and out of how this massive library is working to use it. As long as you know how to use it and what it's doing in the end, it's dragging, it's allowing you to drag and drop. That's good. You've made progress. Okay. So don't be afraid to do that. There's another thing too, especially if something is repeatable. I published a social media post on this where I was doing this slash full kit project and what, what I, was doing was I had come back from a, an, a hiatus and I hadn't worked on it in like a month or I think maybe more than a month. And so I was kind of really kind of, well, I was rusty at that point. I'm new and I'm also rusty now. So it's like, oh, like, what am I going to do here? And, and I couldn't, I, I remembered what components were, I remembered different files, this and that, but I couldn't remember the structure of a component. And so I took a component that I think Mike had written for me, or maybe we wrote co-op wise to get it working. And I needed to make something very, very similar. And I t- did the split window view on uh, VS code. And I did not copy paste it, even though that would have been more efficient. I wrote it out. And as I wrote it out, I was like, okay, this is where the style goes. This is this just to knock that rust off. And maybe in the field, if I was it, you know, hard deadline or something, I would copy paste it. Sure. If it was the very last feature of my project and I'm like, oh my God, I don't, I just want to be done this. Even if it's my learning project, fair enough. You could do a little copy pasting. But if you're, if you're worried at all about, I don't understand the syntax. I don't know how to do this. Copying something, literally even verbatim by typing it out, does help at least me retain it and help me go, oh, wait, is this an error? Like, wait, what does this do? And then I can quickly go and Google that really quick. And I just it's just re-familiarizing yourself with it. And so you could do that even from Stack Overflow. You could write it out yourself. Yes, it's less efficient, but it does give you that uh, interactivity, if you will, and you're working with it more than just copy pasting it. If it is one of your concerns that you're not learning what you're copy pasting. 
Absolutely. I think that's another good point is that it, everything is like, it works differently for other, for everyone, right? So try these other different ways that maybe can help you retain some of the knowledge. Retaining knowledge shouldn't be your goal sometimes as well, because like sometimes it'll be a one-off. Like the drag and drop example, you might not use that again for like six months. But the fact that you found it and implemented it, that's the important part, right? So like sometimes also not memorizing is a key learning while you're going through this. And this is going to be a trial and error thing. You're going to sometimes be like, I want to memorize this and I'm not going to be able to talk you out of it. And that's fine. But as you go through it and you work on different projects and you work on different features or realize that like, hey, that feature that I memorized six months ago, like I haven't even touched that, not even once. Now, core concepts, which you're going to be talking about in the next segment here, that's different. Memorizing how a uh, variable is declared or how a for loop works, that can be useful, right? You can still look it up and that's fine, but sometimes it's just easier if it's just in the back of your brain, right? To wrap this segment up on how to learn JavaScript, I just want to say that like, as you're going through and creating this project from scratch, you're going to gain a lot of very key knowledge. So it's going to be, it's going to learn, you're going to learn how to debug no matter what. You're going to screw up. I guarantee you. And that's okay. You're going to learn how to power through a roadblock because there's going to be one that comes up. You're probably going to learn how to read some documentation, which is really important, right? You're going to learn maybe to how to ask for help. Maybe you're going to ask a friend or maybe you're going to find a group. Maybe you're going to ask on Twitter, whatever. You're going to learn how to ask for help most likely. And the main thing is that you're going to learn how to learn. That's what you're going here for. You're going to learn what works for you and how you benefit from different material, different content. So you're going to try a video. You're going to try a blog. You're going to try a community, whatever. And you're going to be like, okay, well, I benefit most in this situation from a video. So maybe I try that again. Maybe I try this. You're going to try many different things. Some things are going to be successful and some things are. And that's what's going to power you forward. Having said that. That's how you learn it from a very high level. I hope that it helped you. What I do want to leave you with is some of the JavaScript core concepts that, in my opinion, you need to kind of have a good handling on or at least understand them from an abstract view to be able to kind of apply them to any part of your project that you're going to be learning. So when you take these courses, the Scrimba course or the beginner JavaScript course, the links will be in the show notes. These are the core concepts that they'll be teaching you. And I just want to get them out there to you in very summarized terms so that you have them in the back of your head. Because if you don't like the courses that I'm going to give you, and that's fine, there's a million other ones out there. Just make sure that they at least cover most of these things that I'm going to be talking about right here. Most of the core elements of JavaScript, and then you can't really go wrong. So first thing here the basic syntax and constructs of JavaScript. So JavaScript is a programming language. Okay, just like all of the programming languages. My assumption to people in this episode is that you've never programmed before. So the basic constructs of JavaScript are going to include stuff like variable declaration, data types, arrays, uh, objects, numbers, not whatever, operators, pl- uh, like a addition, subtraction, as well as comparisons, right? So you're going to be comparing what's greater than, less than, the basic core fundamentals of programming. Control flow structures, like loops, so a lot of times you're going to have to loop. So you're going to have to do something a number of times. So if you need to display an element, like a, an array, or a, let's say, an amount of blog posts, like you're, you're creating a blog, you, you have 10 blog posts, you're going to need to loop over something 10 times, So you need to understand what loops are. 
And then lastly here is conditional statements and probably most importantly, if statements. So if something exists, do this. If something doesn't exist, do that, right? There's different kinds of conditional statements. You're going to need to learn it in JavaScript. Every programming language has their own constructs, their own syntax on how to do these core fundamental things. You're going to need to know them in JavaScript. And I guarantee you the courses that I provided are going to teach them to you. There, there's something I do want to bring up here. So you, you do have 10 points. This is the first one, but this is a big one. It, it's honestly worth more than, say, the one one out of 10 that it that it, it represents. It's because this is almost like from the first episode, I believe we mentioned DOM flow and how things flow in the DOM. If you just write in HTML, you don't add any CSS, you don't add any styling. It just flows out and you over time will slowly learn how things are stacked together naturally, how they're naturally rendered. And then you manipulate that with um, whatever design you'd like with your CSS. This is really sort of like the design of programming where you're taking a problem like, oh, um, I would like to alphabetically sort all these all these things in this in this uh, I was going to say in this array, but you don't even know that term yet. So I have a list of of, of uh, items. I have a list of items in my filter, whatever you want to you want to add a filter to a website to filter some search results or something. Never done this before. And you're like, well, I have a list of uh, these things probably written on actual paper or maybe written in a memo. And I need to sort through them and make sure they show up alphabetically. Well, you don't understand that you, you probably want to put it into an array. You don't understand, you know, how what are like where are we storing these are we storing these in a variable uh, what what is the data type what is like does an operator come in and the reason why i wanted to bring this up is because uh it it, it would be easy for you to go through these concepts and and literally memorize them and learn the theory of a variable a data type an operator and like really sort of drive the what what they're called home and like learn, learn them like they are, uh, what would you say? Like learning like an itinerary of, uh, not an itinerary, but you're literally learning like data type. The definition of data type is this for in, in the context of JavaScript. The definition of an operator is this. The definition, you're literally, instead of doing that, which is important, but the most important thing you can get out of learning this is not that you're like, well, I know what a variable is. You need to know when to pull out a variable. Where you realize, oh, I need a, I need a quick place to store a number to determine where, whether my light or dark mode is on. I need a variable. Most people would just go, I don't know. It's in the dark mode. They're, they're talking in just verbally talking about it. They're not breaking a problem down into how the computer logically goes through and does this. And it's so hard for me to even explain it. Because I've like kind of learned the flow over the years, but it for years and years and years, uh, maybe it shouldn't say years for lessons and lessons and lessons in in high school, um, we didn't know like what a variable was. It's like we were using them and we would like put them into a program, but then we would have sort of a templated program that we would more or less copy paste and just manipulate, and then we would be told, okay, go make uh, your own program. And I'm thinking, well, I need to store something really quick, but I don't know where to, where to put that. And it, now to me, it's second nature that I would just throw that in a variable and maybe I would need an operator here and there to like, you know, add or subtract or whatever I'm doing. Like I need to calculate, oh, this is, you know, uh, the array index starts at zero, doesn't start at one. So maybe I'll subtract one from this list. And those things are like the DOM flow. They come from your experience with it. 
And it's less of I'm going to memorize all these what all these different things mean. I forget what half these things are half the time. Like I say, if statements, I forget they're called conditional statements. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't constantly like go over the theory in my head over and over and over again. It's almost like if you learn to play piano, which I did years and years and years ago, there's music theory days. Sure. But like the music theory days don't allow me to play. And when I'm playing, I'm not thinking about all the theory. They're important. They come, they go together, but there does come a point where you know, in the real world with programming, you, the, the, it's worth more than just the one mark to take a problem and break it down into say, well, I need an array here. I need to loop through it. I need to do this. I need to do that. Those are very programmatic terms that go beyond the, say, layman uh, verbal exchange of being like, well, just sort them, just sort them alphabetically to a programmer. They all immediately start thinking, well, put it in an array. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this. Getting to that state is super important. It's super difficult. <laughs> and it's something that it's not going to, at least in my opinion, it's not going to come to you until you really start doing projects, whether they're given to you by a course or not given to you by a course, whether they're just something that you come up with and you, you decide to do it. You're not going to get you're not going to understand the let's say the flow of JavaScript, the flow of programming, because these concepts I think every single one Mike listed out, unless I'm wrong somewhere, can be applied to other programming languages. You can go to Python and there's going to be variables. You can go to uh, just Java and there's going to be operators because you're going to be doing math. You're going to be doing adding numbers together, for example. Things like that. These are things that are programmatic constructs that allow a computer to solve a problem for you. And you have to start. Well, we were always told in high school, thinking like a computer. And the only way to get there is practice. At least that's how I was taught. Absolutely. Practice is definitely the probably the biggest part of all of this, of learning it uh, and something that you should take to heart. And again, I mentioned how important it was during the projects of the previous segment where like the courses that I'm recommending are project heavy because that's how you're going to learn this stuff. That's the only way. But again, when you're going through it and you're learning these basic constructs and the syntaxes and all that, it is important to have a little bit of that theoretical mindset, a little bit of that idea of like, hey, this stuff is theory, right? And I'm using it and I can learn it in, in a theoretical sense using the documentation like MDN docs and stuff like that. Uh, and it, it's, But it's a very side thing. Like the, it should be something that you do a little bit of before you maybe start your project or before you do a test uh, on the syntax stuff. But the fun the fundamental concepts will come to you as you learn how to build. That's it, period. Next thing here, functions. Functions are really big in JavaScript. JavaScript is mostly a functional programming language. Um, there's class, like object-oriented programming languages, and then there's functional programming languages, and then there's both. You can argue that JavaScript is a little bit of both, but it's mostly based on functions. You define a function which runs a, a certain amount of code and you call that function when you need it to run. And you can call it as many times and you can pass in different variables from the basic constructs to do different things so that the function can be reused for many different methods, right? Learn how functions work, understand the scope of the functions, understand the different types of functions like arrow functions, and you're good to go on this part. Next thing here, a really big part of, of JavaScript is objects and arrays. 
Almost everything in JavaScript is an object. And if it's not an object, it's probably an array. Uh, understanding how to create and manipulate arrays, understanding how to sort arrays, all the different methods that are built in to an array. So like Matt was saying, hey, I have a list of stuff, a list of grocery, a grocery list that I want to create. How do I make it so that it's sorted alphabetically, right? Well, that's going to be an array and the array will have a sort function and you can use that to sort them alphabetically. But if you need to do something more complex, like sort them alphabetically and by price, right? That becomes a little bit more complex. So you do a double sort or you do a different kind of sort. So learning those constructs of what is available to you in JavaScript is going to be very key. JavaScript DOM manipulation. This is huge. This is one of the biggest parts of JavaScript of why you need it. DOM, we've learned about this in the first, <clears throat> in the first episode, right? Where Matt was describing the DOM flow. The document object model is how it, the visual part of your application is represented, right? So your divs, your paragraph tags, your buttons, everything, that's the DOM, right? And then the DOM flow, like the DOM, when, when stuff is flowed, flowed in, when stuff is loaded, all that can be detected in JavaScript. So for instance, a really common one you're going to learn in JavaScript is DOM content loaded, which means that all of the core concept, core content on your page, your divs, your paragraph tags, your forms are finished loading and available for access with JavaScript. If you need to change them, for instance, you need to add a to-do, right? You need to add a DOM element to your page. You're changing the DOM. You're going to need JavaScript to be able to create an element and put it into the right section of the DOM. That's what I'm talking about with DOM content manipulation. This is where, I'm not going to get into it, but this is where JavaScript frameworks like React, like Vue, like Svelte, make their bread and butter. They make this a lot easier for you to do and track and manage and all that. But don't worry about that right now. Event, handle, event handling. JavaScript is very much an event programming, event-based programming language. Stuff happens and you react to it. So, but you can also create event, create events. So a button click, someone clicks on a button, that's a user creating an event, and then what, what will you do? Well, you have to put a click handler, an event like on click listener, to be able to handle the event of someone clicking a button. DOM content loaded, that's an event. We just talked about that. And there's many, many other events. You're gonna need to learn how to uh, create and respond to events. Asynchronous JavaScript. This one is kind of a newer-ish one, okay? Uh, but it was always being used. We just called it something different. Uh, asynchronous JavaScript is like promises, callbacks, async await. Those are all key terms for stuff where you need to wait for something to happen and then respond to it happening. So for you, when you're fetching data from an external server, when you're fetching data from, for instance, the weather, right? So you're fetching the weather. You don't know how long that process is going to take because you don't control where the weather is stored. You're using a different, a different, a, a, someone else's server. That call could take 10 milliseconds. It could take five seconds. You have no control over that. JavaScript runs synchronously, which means it runs one line after another. So what happens when something takes five seconds and you need to react to it? Okay, you need to react to that uh, thing that took five seconds. Well, all the other stuff is already run. 
because every JavaScript runs quickly and it runs up and down. You can use something called a callback or a promise or an async await statement where you can either wait for it to happen before you run the rest of your code. That's what async await does. Or you can use a promise so that essentially when it finishes running, an event is generated on in, in your uh, in your code and you can react to that event and do something. So if it's something like I'm updating the weather, you're waiting for the weather to come back to you from the server. You wait for it. Once it's done, you update that do using DOM manipulation, you update that element. Again, we're combining a bunch of different things. It's not super important that you understand everything I'm talking about here. I just want to talk about it from a high level enough stance that you can start to look for the right material to learn. To insert a bit of motivation, uh, this asynchronous stuff always gets me and I always have to relook it back up and I always forget how to do a bunch of it uh, just because it's not something I do every day. So if you're confused, um, I'm there with you about 70% of the time. <laughs> exactly. Next thing here is ES6 plus features. So JavaScript has different versions. ES6 is the latest version. And because of that, there's new things that have been added to JavaScript that weren't available before. Now, one of those things is new types of variables. There's a new variable called new to variable type called let and a new variable type called const. One is for dynamic variables where you're going to be changing them throughout the application's lifecycle. And one is for static variables that are not going to change. Not important that you learn that concept right now in this podcast, but the idea that I want to come across is there are certain features in the ES6 family that were not available before that. So when you're looking at tutorials and you're going to see something, someone declare a variable with a var and then see someone could declare a variable with a let or a const, it might throw you off. So in my opinion, it's important to learn what the newest features are and what they, when they were introduced so that you can understand why some of the decisions were made in the older tutorials. Okay. And then you can kind of correlate them and be like, Oh, well, they're declaring variables the old way. So I should probably, you know, use this tutorial, but just declare them in the new way and no big deal. There's different, there's all different kinds of things in ES6. Uh, for instance, template literals, destructuring. Don't worry about it. Like you don't have to learn it in this podcast again, but during the course of the courses that you're going to take, you're going to cover a lot of these elements. And in my opinion, just go outside of the course material a little bit, learn what's new, what's upcoming in JavaScript a little bit like that, just so you have an idea when you're Googling even, just to make sure that you're aware that all of a sudden there, there was this change that was pretty significant in JavaScript. Let me, let me ask you this. So uh, probably a question that's generated in some people's minds is um, what do you mean by a new version? So like to a lot of people, especially if they're a complete beginner, they're going to think, oh, like, do I do a browser update? Do I do an app update, a plugin update? What is this? So, like, what do you mean by a new version? Yeah, it's it's browser based for sure. So JavaScript runs in the browser, uh, like your Chrome, your Edge, your Safari has JavaScript, a JavaScript engine in it. They have different ones, uh, especially Edge, uh, Chrome and Safari, but they each follow certain standards. And one of those standards is called ES, right? So ECMA -E script or something like that. Let me just Google that for you. ECMA script. Right? And this is a good example of like, you yeah. know, you know the theory, but it's not at the forefront of your memory either. Yeah. So it's called ECMA script, the programming language, and it's a JavaScript standard intended to ensure the op interoperability of web pages across different web browsers. So again, these browsers have different JavaScript engines, but they're focused on the same standard. So they have mostly and I say mostly with the quotes, kind of, uh, the same feature set 
across different browsers, which makes it a lot easier for us to build an application and have it run in any browser that's out there. Okay. That's what ECMA was made for 26 years ago, apparently. Uh, And that's what we use it for today is to standardize on a set of features so that we can, as programmers, develop one, one code base for all the browsers out there. And again, the old version had certain features, didn't have certain features, and the new version has the certain features. So that's why it's kind of important to understand what the old version did not have, just so you're understanding the context of some of the older code that's out there, which is still pretty c- common. Uh, error handling. This one's pretty important. Uh, try-catch statements are a great way to handle errors in JavaScript. A lot of people hate them, especially people coming from other languages. So you're going to see some random hate for try-catch, but it's probably the best way to handle errors in JavaScript at that point. So it's important to understand what they do. Uh, testing and debugging. So there's a lot of different ways you can debug JavaScript. Console.log, we had a whole episode on it. Uh, browser developer tools with the debugger statements and breakpoints and all that stuff. Plenty of different ways to debug. Learn how to debug early on because as you get to build your own stuff outside the scope of a course, or even sometimes in a course, something will be wrong. You're going to need to find out what's wrong and how to find that out and stuff like that. How to find it is debugging. Uh, that's important. And lastly here, this one, um, I was kind of hesitant to put it on the core concepts and I'm still hesitant to even say it, but functional programming concepts. So this is a very high level idea of how you should handle a function, functional programming language. Um, stuff like pure functions, higher order functions, immutability, keywords that I'm throwing out there that mean nothing to you right now. Um, I don't know. I, this one is more of a theoretical one where like, this is how you'd construct an application, right? So that when you're creating an application from scratch, you need some sort of method in how you're going to build it. Okay. So you can have chaos. So you just put functions wherever and how functions work and do you do this? Do you do that? Like you can have that and that works. And a lot of the code that I write is probably still pretty chaotic, but, or you can have a method to the madness, right? So you, if you like method to the madness approach, not for everyone, uh, there's different kinds of concepts, programming concepts and functional programming because JavaScript's a functional language is a pretty good one to follow. Um, there's object oriented, there's MVC, like there, there's plenty of different concepts out there that you can look at and try to emulate, uh, if you're more of a structured person and you need that structure to get started and that's okay, but it's not required. That's why, again, I'm hesitating adding this here, but I did want to bring it up just as a way to like, say that, Hey, if you're not a chaotic person, this might be the way to forward for you. Well, it might be something to even say if you've absorbed everything here, you're, you know, maybe you've made a couple projects and you're looking for uh, something to expand your knowledge. Then number 10, you know, maybe look up some functional programming concepts, see if it jives with maybe a potential job that you want to do or if it jives with you. And if it doesn't and it doesn't. Yep. That's exactly it. And with that, that's it. That's those are the core concepts that I have. Obviously, there's a lot more to learn just with like with everything else. But if you've got these down, you're on your way to being a being a very good JavaScript developer. And you're on your way to the next step, which is probably going to be learning a framework like React. You're learning a framework, learning something else, maybe going into the back end of things and learning a little bit of Node.js, how to handle that server client relationship, right? 
there's a lot you can go from here, but this is your like, hey, I've learned the three pillars. Now my world opens up, right? You have that, you have that for you. So we've talked about this so many, for so many years, Matt, where like learn the three pillars, but we never really gave a, a good like start to finish guide on how we would approach it right now. And this, I think, completes that where if anyone asks us, hey, how do I go and learn the three pillars that you keep talking about? We can, we can take them to this episode, these episodes, and they can at least get started in that round. Now, if you really like this and you want us to continue to create kind of the guide of what we would do, um, let us know because next episode would probably be something on frameworks. And then we can talk about backend and whatever. We, we can, we can have more of these episodes on how we would approach learning them in the future. If you like it, just let us know again on Twitter at HTML everything. Um, it, or, uh, Instagram is HTML of things. However you want to contact us, let us know if you like it, but that's it for me. I hope that this helped you get started, get your foot in the door to learning JavaScript. Yeah. I hope these, these two episodes, uh, really sort of, uh, give you a direction. I, I want to say a push. Maybe it is a little bit of a push, but especially if you're a person that maybe you've tried to learn and you kind of struggled finding what you should be learning. Or if, again, if you're a person that's completely at square one, and you have never tried programming before or maybe never tried web development before and you just see that crazy amount of stuff that you can learn. I know I mentioned this in the beginning of the, of the show, but it is something to reiterate on because there is just so much that you could learn and you're just going to look at it and go, well, and you're probably going to move on. So hopefully this kind of gives you a good uh, starting point. I know some other people will or some people will disagree with this starting point and they'll think maybe you should be starting with React or starting with Svelte or whatever. But this is the way that Mike and I have learned it. This is the way that we think will help you learn uh, frameworks and other technologies in the future. And if we do do another episode like this, like or if you'd like another episode like this, like Mike said, please let us know. And then maybe we'll do you know, a third episode on like, okay, now that you've learned these three pillars, this is how we, you should learn Svelte. This is how you should learn Vue. This is how you should use, uh, this is how you should learn React. Those type of things might be uh, interesting to you and allow you to sort of follow, almost follow along with the episodes if you're uh, learning at the same pace as our uh, episodes uh, of this type release. But if you want to support episodes like this, you can do so. That's patreon.com slash HTML all the things and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the Webhacker on thewebhacker.com, BibHashDash on 9BlockMedia, 9BlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, and Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you were listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.